Chapter 22 of Seeing Things at Night. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cummings. Seeing Things at Night by Haywood Brune. Holding a Baby. When Adam delved and Eve span, the fiction that man is incapable of housework was first established. It would be interesting to figure out just how many foot-pounds of energy men have saved themselves since the creation of the world by keeping up the pretense that a special knack is required for washing dishes and for dusting, and that the knack is wholly feminine. The pretense of incapacity is impudent in its audacity, and yet it works. Men build bridges and throw railroads across deserts, and yet they contend successfully that the job of sewing on a button is beyond them. Accordingly, they don't have to sew buttons. It might be said, of course, that the safety of suspension bridges is so much more important than that of suspenders that the division of labor is only fair. But there are many of us who have never thrown a railroad in our lives, and yet swagger in all the glory of masculine achievement without undertaking any of the drudgery of odd jobs. Probably men alone could never have maintained the fallacy of masculine incapacity without the aid of women. As soon as that rather limited sphere, once known as woman's place, was established, women began to glorify and exaggerate its importance by the pretense that it was all so special and difficult that no other sex could possibly begin to accomplish the tasks entailed. To this declaration men gave immediate and eager assent, and they have kept it up. The most casual examination will reveal the fact that all the jokes about the horrible result of masculine cooking and sewing are written by men. It is all part of a great scheme of sex propaganda. Naturally, there are other factors. Biology has been unscrupulous enough to discriminate markedly against women, and men have seized upon this advantage to press the belief that, since the bearing of children is exclusively the province of women, it must be that all the caring for them belongs properly to the same sex. Yet how ridiculous this is! Most things which have to be done for children are of the simplest sort. They should tax the intelligence of no one. Men profess a total lack of ability to wash baby's face simply because they believe there's no great fun in the business at either end of the sponge. Protectively, man must go the whole distance and pretend that there is not one single thing which he can do for baby. He must even maintain that he doesn't know how to hold one. From this pretense has grown the shockingly transparent fallacy that holding a baby correctly is one of the fine arts, or perhaps even more fearsome than that, a wonderful intuition which has come down after centuries of effort to women only. The thing that surprised Richard most, says a recent woman novelist, was the ease and efficiency with which Eleanor handled Annabelle. She seemed to know by instinct things that Richard could not understand and that he could not understand how she came by. If she reached out her hands to take Annabelle, her fingers seemed, of themselves, to curve into the places where they would fit the spineless bundle and give it support. At this point, interruption is inevitable. Places, indeed. There are 152 distinctly different ways of holding a baby, and all are right. At least all will do. 
There is no need of seeking out special places for the hands. A baby is so soft that anybody with a firm grip can make places for an effective hold wherever he chooses. But to return to our quotation, if Richard tried to take up the bundle, his fingers fell away like the legs of the brittle crab, and the bundle collapsed, incalculable and helpless. How do you do it? he would say. And he would write Annabelle and try to still her protests. And Eleanor would only smile gently and send him on some masculine errand, while she soothed Annabelle's feelings in the proper way. You may depend upon it that Richard also smiled as soon as he was safely out of the house and embarked upon some masculine errand, such as playing eighteen holes of golf. Probably, by the time he reached the tenth green, he was too intent upon the game to remember how Guile had won him freedom. Otherwise, he would have laughed again when he holed a twenty-foot putt over a rolling green and recollected that he had escaped an afternoon of carrying Annabelle because he was too awkward. I once knew the wife of the greatest billiard player in the world, and she informed me with much pride that her husband was incapable of carrying the baby. He doesn't seem to have the proper touch, she explained. As a matter of fact, even if men in general were as awkward as they pretend to be at home, there would still be small reason for their shirking the task of carrying a baby. Except that right side up is best, there is not much to learn. As I ventured to suggest before, almost any firm grip will do. Of course, the child may cry, but that is simply because he has become over-particular through too much coddling. Nature herself is cavalier. Young rabbits don't even whimper when picked up by the ears, and kittens are quite contented to be lifted by the scruff of the neck. This same nature has been used as the principal argument for women's exclusive ability to take care of the young. It is pretty generally held that all a woman needs to do to know all about children is to have some. This wisdom is attributed to instinct. Again and again we have been told by rapturous grandmothers that it isn't something which can be read in a book or taught in a school. Nature is the great teacher. This simply isn't true. There are many mothers in America who have learned far more from the manuals of Dr. Holt than instinct ever taught them. And Dr. Holt is a man. I have seen mothers give beer and spaghetti and Neapolitan ice cream to children in arms. And if they got that from instinct... The only conclusion possible is that instinct did not know what it was talking about. Instinct is not what it used to be. I have no feeling of being a traitor to my sex when I say that I believe in at least a rough equality of parenthood. In shirking all the business of caring for children, we have escaped much hard labor. It has been convenient. Perhaps it has been too convenient. If we have avoided arduous tasks, we have also missed much fun of a very special kind. Like children in a toy shop, we have chosen to live with the most amusing of talking and walking dolls, without ever attempting to tear down the sign which says, Do not touch. In fact, we have helped to set it in place. That is a pity. Children mean nothing at long range. For our sake, we ought to throw off the pretense of incapacity and ask that we be given a half share in them. I hope that this can be done without its being necessary for us to share the responsibility of dishes also. I don't think there are any concealed joys in washing dishes. Washing children is quite a different matter. After you have washed somebody else's face, you feel that you know him better. This may be the reason why so many trained nurses marry their patients. 
but that is another story. A dish is an unresponsive thing. It gives back nothing. A child's face offers competitive possibilities. It is interesting to see just how high a polish can be achieved without making it cry. There is also a distinctive sense of elation in doing trifling practical things for children. They are so small and so helpless that they contribute vastly to the comforting glow in the ego of the grown-up. When you have completed the rather difficult task of preparing a child for bed and actually getting him there, you have a sense of importance, almost divine in its extent. This is to feel at one with fate, to be the master of another's destiny, of his waking and his sleeping, and his going out into the world. It is a brand new world for the child. He is a veritable atom, and you loom up in his life as more than mortal. Golf is well enough for a Sunday sport, but it is a trifling thing beside the privilege of taking a small son to the zoo and letting him see his first lion, his first tiger, and best of all, his first elephant. Probably he will think that they are part of your own handiwork, turned out for his pleasure. To a child, at least, even the meanest of us may seem glamorous with magic and wisdom. It seems a pity not to take the fullest advantage of this chance before the opportunity is lost. There must come a day when even the most nimble-witted father has to reply, I don't know. On that day the child comes out of Eden, and you are only a man again. Cortez on his lonely peak in Darien was a pygmy discoverer beside the child eating his first spoonful of ice cream. There is the immediate, frightened and angry rebellion against the coldness of it, and then the amazing sensation as the strange substance melts into magic of pleasant sweetness. The child will go on to high adventure, but I doubt whether the world holds for anyone more soul-stirring surprise than the first adventure with ice cream. No, there is nothing dull in feeding a child. There is less to be said for dressing a child from the point of view of recreation. This seems to us laborious and rather tiresome, both for father and child. Still, I knew one man who managed to make an adventure of it. He boasted that he had broken all the records of the world for changing all or any part of a child's clothing. He was a skilled automobile mechanic, much in demand in races where tires are whisked on and off. He brought his technic into the home. I saw several of his demonstrations. He was a silent man who habitually carried a mouthful of safety pins. Once the required youngster had been pointed out, he wasted no time in preliminary wheelings, but tossed her on the floor without more ado. Even before her head had bumped, he would be hard at work. With him, the thrill lay in the inspiration of the competitive spirit. He endeavored always to have his task completed before the child could cry. He never lost. Often the child cried afterward, but by that time my friend felt that his part of the job was completed and would turn the youngster over to his mother. End of chapter 22